Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I'm your host, Brett Kane, and the wonderful words you were just hearing are from today's guest, Carissa Holmes. She also made the track that was in the background. It's called Her Life-Giving Waters. Uh, and this is a special episode. I really enjoyed this, and I'd like to have more conversations like this in the future. Uh, Carissa is a creativity coach, musician, author, and holistic healthcare practitioner. Her specialty is helping people find their creative muse by embodying it herself and getting them unstuck, getting them in the flow of creative action and inspired movement. She is a wonderful human who is incredibly powerful, as you may have been able to tell from the intro. And she has a lot of different packaged tiers that allow you to interact with her and essentially build your sense or your connection with your intuition. Um, and this episode is all about all of those things. Uh, this is all things creativity, from staying inspired to getting unstuck to overcoming stage fright, uh, getting over imposter syndrome, um, just dealing with the stressors that this world is currently throwing at us in this uh, current iteration of society, and overall just like how to stay in your, your creative flow. Um, I got a lot of takeaways from this, and I trust that anybody who listens all the way through will also um, get some really good downloads, especially if you're an aspiring creative, uh, if you are just a dabbler, a hobbyist, or full-blown professional. Uh, it doesn't really matter where you're at or if you identify as a creative. Um, the secret is that everybody is creative, and literally anything that you want to do in this life uh, requires creativity if you want to do it well. Um, so I won't take up too much of your time with this intro because I think this is, is just a wonderful conversation and the quicker we can get to it, the better. But before we do that, uh, just some quick bookkeeping. Um, if you do wish to support the show, uh, the best thing you could do is leave us a five-star review over at Apple podcast. That single metric allows me to get, uh, I guess you'd say higher quality guests. I don't even want to say that because every guest is quality, but um, more renowned guests. It helps me get potential sponsorship. Uh, it helps rig the algorithm so that I'm reaching more listeners. Overall, it just helps uh, the interaction with the show, which will allow me to free up more space and to invest more time and energy and give you guys a better service um, because, I mean, this is for you. Um, yeah, if you want to reach out to me, reach out through the Facebook page. If you have any suggestions, if something sounds iffy or off, whatever you want to do to interact. If you know somebody who'd be a great fit for the show, let me know. If you think you'd be a great fit for the show, I'd love to have a talk with you. Um, a lot of different ways to interact, and there's only going to be uh, more. So thank you so much for listening. Please welcome Carissa Holmes. Carissa, hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. How are you doing today? Hello and thank you for having me. I am doing pretty well. I'm in the midst of a, a grand personal renaissance right now, so this is a great time for us to connect and to talk about things. There are many things to talk about. So, 
yeah, this is a very uh, auspicious time in uh, American history and society. And I feel like we're, I also am going through kind of a renaissance. There's a lot of things shifting in my life. And I'm suspecting a lot of the listeners are probably feeling elements of that too. So, oh, yes. (laughs) We're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah. It's good that we're actually both kind of in that kind of renaissance phase too. You know, I feel like there's going to be a lot of similarities and uh, overlaps between the things that we're going through. And, Mm I really wanted to start this off by actually just addressing like the current time and place that we find ourselves in in 2020. Um, so I've already introduced you in my intro, so the listeners kind of have a gist of who you are. Um, and I'm just kind of interested in like your personal um, journey during this year. How have you have you been able to like manage your creative um, upkeep well, or are you finding that there's kind of some like it's, is it a little bit harder? Or how are how are you surfing these waters? Yeah, the difficulty level definitely went up. Um, what I found, though, happily enough, is that I was resource enough to increase my capacity to just continue showing up for life. Um, in the past, I had struggled a bit with sensitivity, as all artists do, and tending to feel a bit overwhelmed when things get really intense. And this period of time has shown me my capacity and has pushed me to open even more to be able to hold sensation in in a time when things aren't going smoothly, I was still able to tap in to my creativity and into the sense of flexibility, um, being flexible and versatile and open to changing the way I'm showing up to match the need um, of the world and what's going on. I really felt a sense of being very safe in myself and that I could do that and I could find some kind of a way to be of service when maybe being a gigging musician wasn't going to work anymore because there's no gigs and everything that I was doing and everything that I crafted for my my personal income completely got thrown out the window and you have to reinvent yourself so for me my creativity went toward what can I do now to be of service that still is good for me too yeah I think that that's something that's really interesting about this time, especially for artists, is that like, I feel like the energy that we've been investing into showing up in the world, we're now having to show up for ourselves in a different way. And the the, the word that has been coming up a lot this year for me is like resiliency. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, in like truly honoring our practices, we're being forced to kind of re-interact with them in a way that we may have never been able to. Um how long have you had your website up? Because I've been looking at it, and it's really well done. <laughs> Thank you. The website has been up, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so. But oh, it has, okay. as, as I have, it has metamorphosized many times. The most recent incarnation, um, a lady by the name of Kathy Roush, helped me to design it because of the nature of who I am and what I do. A, a simple like template-based site that I could have easily done myself wouldn't really have conveyed what I'm doing and all the things that I have I, I needed help from a designer so I recruited her help with that and um, it helps to have that now and it's actually the website is going through a renaissance of its own now and I'm including more art um, Logan Walden you're, you're probably familiar with him he's been on the music festival scene fantastic artist that I feel like um, really just can see me as a human <laughs> and I felt that if I commissioned him he would really be able to speak in a single image kind of what I'm about and what I'm offering. And he did that. And, and the new cover art on the site is just awesome. So 
So did um, the current where it's at now, was some of that done this year or was it kind of set up before? Because I saw it and I like immediately was like, whoa, this feels really like current in that like everything is right there for the online audience. Yeah, the, some of the changes, the changes to the basic architecture of the site um, haven't even been made yet. My, I keep my blog fresh. Whatever's coming up for me, that goes right in the blog um, so that the the energy of the site is in the now and it's not like this archival thing that isn't that helpful <laughs> so yeah there are changes but but the basic structure of the site has been the same for probably three years now well wow, okay yeah and it, i just feel like it lends itself super well to the current climate that we're in right now and i like that you have your offerings in like multiple spots so people can see all the different ways to engage with you and i'm gonna guess are you doing online offerings as a response to the pandemic as well yeah, that, and that was something that I had intended to get into for many years. And of course, as things go, you get focused on on doing gigs and performance because you love it so much and doing online classes doesn't seem that fun. But with the pandemic, of course, it has encouraged me like many others to really get on it and to begin um, channeling more of what I offer through the internet for audiences who are everywhere, whether they're quarantined or not. So, yeah. And I think like the benefit of that is that like, I really like the idea of leaning into technology as it makes itself more available to us. So like at one point there's kind of like, man, we're not meeting in person. This sucks. But at the same time, it's like giving us this greater capacity to actually reach more people, you know? So like now people from all over the United States can start interacting with you and like utilizing the services that you offer. Whereas that may have never been the case. You might not have had like the time to really create that platform. So in a sense, I almost feel like there is some like genuine like gems of the pandemic that we sure. can take forward for our yeah. collective consciousness it's forcing us to everybody has to learn the technology now you can't have people that are just in their local market and that's what they do and because they're getting along just fine and making a living saw no reason to be more global in their reach and now we all we have to so i think that like the advent of the internet and digitized media it's helping us to come together more as a human collective and to be a more global society. Yeah, and I think that that's honestly what we need in order to actually like face the challenges that this current century is providing us. Oh I don't, I, I don't like uh, catastrophize anything in that like, I'm able to see all the issues like climate change is super real, systemic racial injustice is super real, but I always have this like air of optimism. Um, and as uh, <laughs> philosopher Terrence McKenna said, anything but the utmost optimism is fatalism. Yeah. So I think in the fact that we're able to actually create these online platforms and like these gem of human beings are able to start rising to the surface and spread their medicine, you know, I think is, it's a part of the, the natural process. And I honestly don't think the pandemic is a mistake. I think that this was a part of the human journey in this current interconnected technological framework. And I'm excited to see, I mean, we already have talks of a vaccine, like what's going to carry forward and how are we going to show up for each other in this new age? You know, I think it's. I agree. We, we evolve only out of necessity. We will not do shit unless we have to. So something this big where we have to look at the underbelly of humanity and all of the things that we have miscreated, it took something that big for us to look at it, to admit that it's there, for people to be emboldened and come forward so we could say, wow, look at this piece of our humanity. Like it had to be something like this or we would have just continued to ignore it indefinitely. Yeah. So. 
it would be, we couldn't ignore it, you know, like nope. we've kind of known about some of the issues that we're facing since like the 90s and still like the train is rolling, if not just picking up more momentum, you know. So I even at the start of this, I could see like a, a thread of just kind of like, oh, this is medicine. Like this yeah. is in the same way you take a vaccine to like get your body used to the illness. Like this is kind of like the vaccine for the modern day consumerism and momentum that we have you know i think this moment of respite is actually very needed and it's a shame that so many people it's easy for me to say this because i'm in kind of a privileged situation and i have to acknowledge that too but um yeah it's a shame that it had to be in a way that you know people are losing their lives you know so many people are leaving and, and grieving and even that is opening our collective heart that you know compassion is emerging where it never was before because of the depth of the pain that is in the collective right now. So, you know, if you want to, it's not like you have to try to find the sunny side of everything, but it helps sometimes to try to detect the medicine, like you said, in these things. Yeah. So where do you think art comes into play in here and like creativity? Because to me, like creativity is, it's the surfboard that allows us to actually surf these waves and not fall under. But in your words, like, where does art come in to be able to manage these different energies? I think art is the thing that people turn to when they're in pain, when they're uncertain, when they don't know where to go. What do they do? They they get a hold of something that an artist, artist as we define it, you know, the visual arts, the performing arts, something that an artist has created, and it brings them back to their center. They listen to music. They watch a program. They dive into beauty. They go into a museum. They look at art. You know, whatever it is that that person connects with in, in, in a creative aspect, that's where they go when they're like, oh, my God, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get myself back to how I want to feel. I need to use art. And that's just the simplest interaction and the simplest definition of creativity and how it can help us. But really, our creativity is how we innovate. Those vaccines wouldn't have come about without creativity. Yeah. Creativity is not about being crafty or artistic. It's really that fire from heaven that inspires us that comes in and just moves us to that next level, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I definitely think about like the, the early days of the pandemic. I mean, what was everybody doing? We were all talking about the Tiger King or whatever, but like oh, is the fact and as goofy as the show is and we can use a lot of different examples. That was the one that came up, but it's like we were all kind of coping with the uh, the strain of the situation and we were actually connected as a nation you know all the mm -hmm. memes were coming up and everybody was laughing and it was like a massive coping mechanism and i don't think a lot of people realize that like binge watching a show is consuming art you oh, yeah. know and you know that's there's stories and how we're able to navigate things and i'm kind of excited to see like the next era of art now that we have all of this because right now i feel like so much of this is like unprocessed like it's still so raw and immediate and visceral mm -hmm. we're still losing people but once the the wound has kind of closed up in the way that we we talk about this i think is going to be super important so like the optimist artist i think is going mm -hmm. to be crucial in helping like truly kind of put the bone back into place so to speak right the, the artist um shows us ourselves you know through the arts they can help us to process the feelings that come up when we've seen ourselves after we've seen ourselves and we've processed art is what helps us to create the new way of being after that it's just at every step art and creativity are there helping us with whatever it is that we're trying to do and however we're trying to be they're 
They're an integral part. It's not possible to really go through a day without art. We are we are yeah. art. <laughs> we are creativity in human form. So it's kind of, and the creativity is, the creative process is a microcosm for our life process. So I think that in, in, in every way can help us with whatever we're trying to work through. So as a creative coach, I mean, you obviously are utilizing these principles of like, this is a micro version of the macro process, but how do you work with these energies in your own uh, like one-on-one -on -one type of sessions? How do you like hold on to that integrity? For me, a lot of people that end up coming to me are those who have previously at some time in their life used art in a really major way close to their heart. Either they were an artist or they were very into it or consumed a lot of it, whatever it may be. And for whatever reason, they've put that away or suppressed it. Um, a lot of times it's about making a living, you know, because it's not that easy in our culture right now for artists to make a living doing what they love. And we're being told by the very rational, you know, reductionist society that you got to get a real job and got to be, you know, pay your taxes and buy a house and, you know, do the whole thing. And these people have kind of fallen in line with that way of thinking too much. Like, it's not that that's bad. We need that to balance ourselves. But completely putting away your creative self and your desire to create throws you out of balance. And after a time of living out of balance in that way, you end up with these bothersome symptoms, whatever they may be in your physical body, emotionally, whether you feel like you're having some kind of esoteric crisis, whatever it is, that's what these people come to me with. They've been through conventional therapy or conventional medicine and nothing's working and, and they're essentially kind of grasping at straws. And they have no clue a lot of the time that what they're experiencing, the discomfort is related to a part of themselves that has been ostracized from their being or repressed or told that it didn't matter. And us working together is a way for that part to reemerge and to be appreciated and to reintegrate back into their life. So that's kind of, and, and that takes a number of different forms depending on the person, different tools, but that's usually who shows up and why. So when you are working with clients, I'm imagining that I know you have a lot of different uh, modalities that you work with. Mm -hmm. So primarily you use creativity uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but use creativity as a means to kind of like get people more connected to themselves. But you also are like a bodywork practitioner right. as well. How do these different energies, what kind of bodywork exactly is it that you do? And how do those things, how do you synergize those? Right. It's really interesting that I, I rarely ever have to teach somebody how to be creative or encourage them to be creative. What I do is I go in and I help them dissolve the blocks to that because it's their nature. I don't have to teach them how to do that. It'll just emerge so the body work and the energy work that I do are all there to help dissolve the lies that they have put on, like garments that fit too tightly, and just kind of take those off and remember who they are. Um, the body work portion, I primarily use polarity therapy because it is a very, um, it's nervous system oriented. Artists tend to be um, a little bit high key in the nervous system. We're sensitive people, um, and a lot of times, Trauma and just traumatic situations can be kind of jammed up in the nervous system and the energy system. Polarity therapy is fantastic for giving the body space to return back to normal functioning. I'm not fixing people. I don't put my hands on people and say, I'm going to fix all your stuff. Like that's just a bullshit way of, of thinking about healing, if you ask me. So I'm there to hold space, to remind their system of how 
it's supposed to operate naturally. And with just a little reminder, it goes, oh, yeah, that's right. The system corrects itself. I, I, I'm not kidding myself that I'm fixing somebody. It's just I'm a reminder. <laughs> so I'm reminding them. And I also use Reiki, but Reiki is a very uh, background thing that just kind of runs in the background to set, kind of set up a really beautiful space and a beautiful intention. But the polarity um, really seems to help the nervous system more and helps people to remember themselves at a faster rate. And then um, what I've found lately, people are really um, moving toward EFT. And I don't know if it's because I can't do body work right now because we're, you know, in a pandemic. But the um, EFT tapping, emotional freedom technique has been, people will schedule appointments with me for something else and we end up doing EFT. <laughs> like, the universe is like, you need some EFT right now because it just so rapidly takes away that emotional static and the emotional charge on things that are right there at the surface. And that increases the person's natural capacity to process things and their system processes it. I don't fix them. I'm just offering this little tool. So it, it's been good. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we've, we've really, I know we haven't talked much in the past year, but I don't know if you knew that I ended up getting licensed for massage therapy. And I've been doing a lot of study into like the way that the nervous system is actually the prime culprit in a lot of people's like muscle tension even. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And my approach to things, and I, I, I'm resonating very strongly with what you're saying, that you're not the one fixing things. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying that, it kind of like, makes me feel like the thing that we do as people who hold that space is we bear witness and we sh we literally, we just become like our hands become mirrors. So the body already knows how to self-regulate itself, but it needs to be able to see where it's actually holding the tension and it needs permission. And I think yes. that permission is something that we all have difficulty in giving to ourselves. And in the sense of like body work, the permission is that we, we either place our hands or hold the energetic space and then allow it to be as yep. it is, you know, and having the freedom to just express, even if it's the tension, then it will naturally change as like the leaves change colors in the fall and fall away. Would you say that that's uh, accurate? Yeah, I'm really glad to hear you say that as a massage therapist, there's a tendency in that culture to where you go and you find a trigger point or a knot, and then you just start rubbing on it till it goes away and, and to hear an enlightened perspective of, I'm noticing something in this body. I'm in communication with this body. My hand has found something, and I'm just going to sit here and see what it has to say. Because yeah. sometimes it just wants permission to exist. A lot of times there is a message there that the person has not been getting because they've been so focused on making this go away that they're setting up a resistance feedback loop to the thing mm -hmm. healing. And you have to know why is this here? Is it really just computer neck? Or is this something deeper that I need to take a look at? And as a body worker, I go in and I'm like, okay, the thing that I say when my hand is on somebody's body is I'm listening. Yeah. And then there's almost this sense where the body's afraid that you're going to move on to another spot too quickly for it to finish the process. And almost everybody I work with, and at that point I say, I'm not moving until you tell me to move. And then yeah. once those two tenets are set forth, then it's like, okay, and the life within their body begins to communicate with me. If there's something I need to say out loud to the person, I can say it to help them. And it's just like, it's really more of a dance, like a communication dance than it is me fixing something. If I can just listen, then everything else will take care of itself. Right. And I think that, that that's a really important um, 
distinction to make. It is it's a conversation that you're actually mm-hmm. having. It's not you giving a lecture. You're Gosh. not, you know, it, it's a dialogue. It's something you're listening and then you're responding. But like even your response is more based in like repeating what it's saying to yep. you rather than like, like I have the advice for you. And I actually just got the idea of like, it's like if you ask someone to express something really near and dear to them and then halfway through you're like, okay, we're moving on. Or you like walk away. <laughs> then it's like it creates almost more of like a, a tension, you know. And oh, yeah. it's all about the the permission, you know, especially when the person's mind is like, this is a problem. I need to work this out. Yes. You got to work this out. This has to hurt in order for me to, which is another artifact from our society, you know. In media, there's always like the common like someone getting body work and the person puts all their weight on it's like crack and they're like oh that's so much better like Brunhilde yeah exactly we we've been conditioned to like view our bodies in this way when really what our bodies want is space and understanding and just permission to exist as they are just as we want you know it's a microcosm of the macro of our entire being and it's so fast too like if energy is kind of jammed up and you know maybe it's not supposed to be that way and you just track your hand and your energy with the energy and let it be, let it do what it's doing. Don't try to reverse the movement or change it. Just be like, oh, I feel you. I see what you're doing. You're doing this, aren't you? And almost as soon as you notice it and let it do that for a couple of cycles, it it will go back to harmonizing itself. You don't have to direct anything. Yeah. Some of the most profound experiences I've had with body work is like if I find like a pretty obvious trigger point where they're like, ooh, that's the spot. Uh, I'll, I'll apply pressure, but not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And I'll sit there for like two minutes. Yep. And I've had a client like, I don't really get, like, what are you doing? Like, are we continuing? I'm like, hold on. And then I can literally <laughs> just feel it dissolve after yep. two to three minutes. And it's like very light pressure, you know? So, and also like educates people on how to like treat themselves right. well, you know? Like you don't have to be so hard on yourself. Like that's not the way, you know, the bootstraps mentality, you know, you can't guilt yourself into a healthier body no you can't no. trust me i i tried many times so. yeah yeah that's the american story you know america so yeah so what exactly is eft and I, i've never even heard of this i've heard of the polar, polarity therapy but yeah i'm very unaware eft is the emotional freedom technique and it is an acupressure meridian based therapy that was pioneered by gary craig who is just this wonderful, open-hearted soul, and he created this thing, and then he shared it with the whole world for free. And he's like, here's how you do it. This is what you do, and it's free, and everybody use it. And because he was so open with this technique and because of its efficacy, a bunch of people kind of took it and ran off in a million different directions with it and trademarked it with their own stuff and turned it into different things. So I I like to point people back to the source, back to emofree.com, which is Gary's site, which is the founder and that's how there's lots of people on YouTube that teach it, but go back to the source if you want to learn. And it's really, um, it's based on the idea that everything is energy, obviously. And when we have a discomfort in our, in our system, whether body, mind, spirit level, there's some energy meridian somewhere that's out of balance, that's hyperactive, blocked, underactive, something's going on. And if we can stimulate those meridians as we do in acupuncture or acupressure, while we're thinking about or feeling about this difficult symptom that neutralizes the emotional charge, it allows the meridian to return to normal functioning like acupuncture does. And it's like talk therapy because you're saying things out loud that are bothering you or maybe that you needed to say that you haven't said yet. 
But at the same time, we're doing body-mind because we're working with the energy meridians while we're talking. So it's like turbo talk therapy. Wow. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize and kind of where like my natural distrust in more Western, the separate mind-body thing is that like the talk aspect is important while you're doing body work because it's mm -hmm. the mind that's holding the muscles in those places and then yes. it's the muscles feeding the mind based on the story that you're telling. So I, I do really like the idea of like treating both as one unit. You know, I think that mm -hmm. it, we often see one or the other. And talk therapy is, yeah, that's, that's not to, to bash on talk therapy. It has its uses, right. but I think that we're evolving faster now and we need to realize you can talk about stuff for two years or you can have two EFT sessions and just be through it and not, <laughs> it's just yeah. faster. Yeah. Um, my third or fourth episode was with our mutual friend, uh, Nicholas Bolton, oh, you know, yeah. and he's actually the one who like got me inspired when we all ate at that, uh, Thai restaurant, I think, oh, yeah. um, that was my first introduction to like trauma informed work. And that's actually mm -hmm. like what set me on the path, you know, and, um, our conversation was really interesting because I know he's been invested in this for a long time and all of his, his practice is like focused on like the somatic experience. Yes. And I think we have to understand our organism as a complete unit, not in disparate parts, you know? That's kind of like what's gotten us into this kind of quagmire that a lot of people are finding themselves in. Yeah, we don't know our bodies anymore. We're so up in our heads and our bodies are just these meat suits and we don't realize the level of interconnectivity and that things that we experience aren't just happening because of some physical effect. And I think we're only now starting to take a more holistic approach to knowing our own humanity and how that affects us. Yeah. For me, I, I always am trying to toe the line between like what is scientifically uh, found, like sound, but mm -hmm. also at the same time, leaving the door open for things that might not have as much laboratory confirmed results. But like right. the subjective experience of holding a like a therapy session is just, it's so crucial. And like whatever map or model someone can utilize to have a more strong sense of power in their or autonomy, I think it's just like, it's, we can't overlook that, you know? A lot of people dog on like the placebo, but like you're having the effects. Yay, it's it like, no. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I don't want to like use it as a means to like trick people into anything, you know, and I'll be upfront about it, you know, I'll have this conversation with my clients. But I think, you know, as practitioners, we should be open to trying all these different tools, you know, like they're out there and there's been results. So um, to throw them away, I just Absolutely. think it'd be kind of goofy. I look at, I love science. If I hadn't have gone into music, I probably would have been in the earth sciences. I was obsessed with the earth when I was younger, but it, it was ultimately like, science is more of a language and a way to describe what's already happening and I want it to be at the wave where how can I be a part of creating what's starting to happen yeah, and then whoa. get into science to like oh what just happened there like more of an yep. analytical tool and even science is evolving now with quantum physics and quantum mechanics showing us these things that you know even science is changing it's not just an analytical tool anymore it's becoming generative and we're seeing how all of it's tied together but I think ultimately for, for when I was born, it wouldn't have been a totally satisfying life for me to just study rocks and, and germs I would have wanted yeah. to create. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have a strong like sense of like people focus. And I think that that mm -hmm. obviously comes across in your creativity, you know, and I think that that's a kind of a key 
ingredient of like sound creativity is that like we want to be able to use our offerings to help people, you know? Right. Yeah, that I guess I always wanted that, like just to make things better. Yeah. So I'm wondering when you're doing um, like EFT or polarity therapy, are you finding a lot of correlation between that and people who are struggling with writer's block? Do you often find that these two things kind of co-inhabit? Absolutely. Um, Writer's block, stage fright, and just general sense of block creativity are three programs, major programs in my practice, because it is so painful for an artist to be blocked from what they really want to do that it's considered a major problem and they want to get over it. And a lot of the blocks come from the nervous system. Some of it is conditioning from the past. And some of it is just we've kind of tied ourselves in a knot mentally because we've gotten too hyper-focused or compulsively focused on a certain aspect of creative practice. And we just need to allow our focus to diffuse for a time rather than being so very focused. I noticed a lot of people in music production and engineering have the tendency toward um, hyper-focus and focusing on um, minutia and the very fine detail of the art. And because of that, they tend to lose focus of the big picture and they tend to get stuck in mixed down mode, you know, turning a track up and down the same decibel they have been for three weeks or, you know, <laughs> and stuck in some little detail and that pinches off the flow of the creativity that would allow you just to let the thing breathe and, and become what it's meant to be. So any kind of, yeah, creative blocks are a very common arrival for me. Yeah. What do you think it is about like, I'm assuming you mean like electronic music producers. Is it just kind of like a nature of like what draws people like? Because it is very tech heavy. Yeah. It's a very like cerebral kind of thing. Do you think it's more of a byproduct of them just kind of geeking out? Or do you think that it has kind of a bigger implication on just how they're moving through life? I think it's both. <laughs> I'm all about holding paradox in this life. So I always see both. It's definitely the nature of the beast because in a computerized tech heavy style of music, you need to be able to focus on detail or you're not going to be able, you literally won't be able to do it. And it's also a bit of a personality tendency to be in that more masculine, linear, rational, logical side of the brain. And if a person is a little bit tilted toward that side and maybe a little out of balance and needing to come back to balance, they'll experience these blocks to help them surrender a little more and reopen to that feminine side of themselves that will allow them to just let go and yeah. <laughs> just put put the track out and not worry so much about it. Yeah. I, I definitely felt that with myself. I've been doing electronic music for about five years and always been kind of like a little self-conscious because I had friends who were doing it who were like way more technically advanced mm -hmm. and not to like toot my own horn, but I found that like what was coming through me, I felt really inspired by it. And like still to this day, I'll like go back and listen. I'm like, nobody's done a sound like this, you know, but I never ended up releasing it because like I was always comparing myself to the giants of the industry. Yes. And I, I noticed in electronic music, that's very, that's a strong theme for a lot of producers is. It is know. because there's such a technical component and it takes so much practice and mastery and training to get to any level of mastery with the technology. And that whole aspect of it is a completely different art form than songwriting. And yeah. there, are, there are a lot of people in electronic music who are great with the tech, who are amazing producers and maybe not that in, skilled with songwriting and composition. And you listen to their music and for someone like me, I'm like, 
well, this is really cool noise, but it is kind of like a noise. <laughs> it's, it's like a yeah. study in, in sound design more mm -hmm. than a feeling like a story or music. So it's like there's this whole different approach um, to, to the creative aspect of it with that kind of music. Yeah, I definitely notice it. I mean, very strongly with bass music, you yeah. know, like a lot of like the dance music. And I can still like appreciate like sometimes I'll put on some like heavy dubstep. I don't really yeah. even like vibe with it, but I can like hear the sounds and I can appreciate the artistry of each of the sounds. But like in terms of like something that I put on, usually I'll put on something a lot simpler, you know, yeah. but something that just has more flow and more. It, more relatable you know some of the stuff is so kind of masturbatory that it's just kind of yeah. like look at these crazy sounds without any sort of context or story or meaning or yeah it sounds know. like two robots in a trash can fighting or having sex yeah. or whatever yeah. like it does and cool. that kind of music you know heavy bass i love ba i mean i really love heavy bass um the those frequencies move a lot of energy and it's interesting to see people who are really averse to sub work and hearing bass, um, feeling that sense of resistance in their system. They're like, ugh, because it moves a lot of energy, I think, in ways that we're not even aware of. And that's why um, younger generation is so drawn to heavy bass in music right now, because there's a lot to move right now. And yeah. it's really effective music. I mean, it really works. Um, but it's not the only not the only musical form so <laughs> yeah yeah Me i being, found that yeah. i'm sorry what go ahead i was just gonna say i feel like a lot of people's kind of apprehension to jump onto the bass music scene outside of the fact that there is like a little bit of like gatekeeperness to it you know it's inviting <laughs> but at the same time you know the people who are in it are really in it yeah. like they'll like compare shows like yeah i've seen this person 50 times oh you've seen him 12 then get out of here but <laughs> yeah. Even outside of that, I feel like the people I typically brush shoulders with that don't enjoy it, they don't dance. They don't yeah, move. That's and that's honestly, it's a big part of it. Like, bass music is its own thing, but, like, what makes it special is that it's interactive. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it brings that out of you. And if you, like, resist, if you're standing on the sidelines, then you're not really there with the music. Yeah, you know? it definitely is movement-oriented. I'm a very dance-oriented person, and if a music lacks groove – it either feels meditative to me and I can just sit and meditate to it or I'm just bored out of my mind or even lightweight annoyed. Like if there's nothing there that makes me want to move, I just don't really need to hear it again. You know, I can hear it once and appreciate it and be like, okay, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a shame because there's a lot of talented people who are in that camp and it's like, I'd like to support you more, but like there's this music over here that I'm like moving to. And, yes. um, and when you begin so like, to move, oh, so many things happen that you don't yeah. realize. Yeah. It just changes the relationship to everything. <laughs> you know, that's that's a big part of the show is like, yo, if you're not moving, you're really not equipping yourself with the tools to like have vitality and like feel yeah. embodied and whole. And you don't even have to move well, you know. It's not about like having the best dance moves. It's just about owning yourself and just kind of like letting yourself move. It's the whole thing about giving permission, you know. Yeah, I, I facilitate ecstatic dance and what I tell people is you don't have to look cool or do dance moves. Just move however your body wants to move, however weird that is. You have permission. You can roll around on the floor if you want, if that's what yeah. needs to happen for you to move whatever is in your system out. So I think permission is, like, the biggest thing. Yeah. I think ecstatic dance is like, it's a really wonderful platform for people to really come home to themselves. Cause you know, like the whole thing about it is like, you're not watching the other people, at least yeah. the ones I've been to people, the facilitator is like specifically says like, 
like just keep your eyes down and just do what you need to do. And I could mm-hmm. see that in itself being so therapeutic for just kind of like the Western kind of mind, you know, like the generations before us, you know, who are very adverse to dancing or if yes. they do dance, it's a very specific way to do it, you know. And it shouldn't like, be sexual. Like there's a lot of resistance around movements that seem sensual or sexual, as particularly for women being seen as, you know, prey or objects. Well, I can't move this way or people are going to, you know, hit on me or whatever it is or see me as being too much. So I, there's a lot of liberating um, energy around our sexuality and our primal nature. If you just let yourself move and you're not worried about whether you're being seen as an object or something, you're just expressing as a human. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's like the core of it is it's a very human exercise. I mean, we've been dancing since literally the dawn of time. It exactly. might be one of the first things we've done as a community, you know, and it's kind of like we're seeing this with the electronic music scene, like a revival of that as a core value of the human experience and the people who are standing. I know so many people who like genuinely like criticize like raves and they like look down, they don't get it. And it's just like, I feel like they're criticizing themselves in a degree, you know, they're not letting themselves. (laughs) That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. If they can frame it as something for like, Oh, they're just hippies doing drugs. Like Mm -hmm. it, it protects them from the responsibility of showing up for themselves. Right. And if, if we just give ourselves one time, to experience that, then everything opens up and you realize that heavy drums and dancing or how we process things before we had therapy and everything else that we have now and pills and TV, like when you were sad, you went to the drum circle and you danced whatever tribe you were a part of at that time had their own tradition and that's what you did. And that's what indigenous people who are untouched by our culture still do to this day. And they don't do it because they haven't thought of anything else. They do it because it works. <laughs> it, it's effective. Yeah, it's it's maintenance, it's like it's wellness. It's a part of your wellness plan if you're not entering that space because it also has the element of like your rational discursive mind is kind of like an autopilot or in the background yeah. and it brings you into the immediate felt presence of the moment, you know, and anything that we can do to do that, you know, we have no culturally sanctioned exercise that we do that brings us into the moment you know and it's kind of been pushed to like the shadows or the clubs and usually done under the influence of drugs and i think it's just like the nature of the conversation you know the creative self operates in in the now and everybody's so focused on being present and how do we be here now just be creative (laughs) let the rational mind kind of play with a toy or help you with whatever technical aspect of your creative activity and just be in the moment and scribbling or doodling or singing or ecstatic dance it's it's easy and you don't have to think about oh am i doing this right am i doing this meditation right it's just just be here yeah yeah i think a big problem that keeps a lot of people from pursuing the thing that they want to do is that in our society specifically it's very pragmatic in that if you do something you have to make money doing it. right and yeah. then we like that's our value system is like i'm not making money i'm i'm a failure it's like just do it to do it and enjoy it mm-hmm. you know it's your mode of exploration it's your your boat on the high seas of being a human you know there's no doing it well or not well you know it's it's what you are where you are right and it's you become a much more effective and prosperous person when you're whole and you're joyful and you're allowing your creative energy to come through. And just because that particular minute of that day where you were clocked into life, you didn't get a coin back in exchange for whatever you were doing. 
That yeah. doesn't mean that you're not necessarily going to become more prosperous. You know, you will. Yeah. If you're more whole, you have more to offer and more comes to you. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, it was the MC. I think it was either Bus Driver or uh, Open Mic Eagle. They said, um, music doesn't make a man money, but it makes a man who makes money. Yes. You know, and it's like, it's a part of like becoming embodied in whole. Or it doesn't have to be music, but some mode of expression. Something, yeah. So what would you say to the people who have never thought of themselves as creatives? I mean, we, we know that that's kind of a farce, but like for the people who've never moved creative energy, what are some like good first steps that people can do to actually start embracing that? And if you, if you really feel linear or just think of yourself as not being creative at all, just do something differently than you normally. These people are normally very much creatures of habit. They do the same thing, they eat the same breakfast, same lunch. You know, they ha- they're very much on a track. And just wherever you have to go work or, or play, wherever you're heading, just drive a different route that day. And don't, don't plan your different route. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go up Fifth Street instead of, yeah. you know. Just get in the car one day and say, I'm going to do this differently today. I'll still arrive at the same place. Turn in the opposite direction and notice everything that you're seeing and experiencing along the path because what you're doing is you're rewiring your brain not to be afraid of things looking and feeling different even though you're arriving at the same location and that helps take down that fear it takes it down the tab every time you do it it opens you up to doing things differently even if that doesn't driving to the grocery store doesn't seem like a creative activity it's rewiring you so that you can open to more creative thinking in the future. And if you have just nowhere to start, that's probably a good way to do it. Yeah. Do you feel like the important aspect of that is maybe like the intention? Like it's like setting the fact that like I'm doing this in order to open. Do you think that that alone is kind of like a powerful tool or? I think the intention of wanting to open is a powerful tool. If that even feels like too esoteric for you, just be like, I just want to, I just want to change things up. I think I want to be more creative. I'm just going to start by driving a different way to work. And sometimes that's big enough. If you had this big ceremony, you set this huge intention, I'm driving a different way to work because I'm going to be a completely different person and I got to do it in the next 30 days or else. And if we put all these requirements on the process, it can interfere with us unfolding naturally as we're meant to be because we have this whole, you know, outlined list of what it's supposed to look like and what we're doing in each step and this is what's going to happen. We're slipping into that linear analytical overplanned thinking. So yeah. sometimes just let yourself be a little spontaneous and not necessarily have to have this big plan. Would you say that that um, methodology holds true for the people who have had creative um, success, so to speak, but have found themselves like blocked? Like, you know, there's a lot of, you hear it more with like writing than I feel like anything. Writer's block is just the common thing. Like, It's so much content. And with writing, you're working with language. You're working with the left brain, the corpus callosum, which is the area of the brain that connects the two hemispheres, physically and metaphysically, is very much activated. And because you're working with both sides, you have to have the rational linear attached to the process or things don't work. You'll be writing gobbledygook, essentially. You're just doing free writing or channeling. Um, So I think with writing, it's kind of easy to get jammed up because any little kind of glitch or or constriction in the flow of that process can cause you to feel blocked. Um, Anytime there's a block, a good way just to approach it is to just say, all right, I'm going to set that aside, this thing that feels blocked, 
and I'm either going to switch mediums, I'm going to stop writing, and I'm going to go get some crayons and just be a kid for an hour and see what I draw. And it doesn't have to be a picture. I can just be mad and get the red crayon and just scribble hard on the paper until I don't feel angry anymore. Whatever it is, switching mediums can help because then you experience the creative flow. There's no pressure to make a book or a product and you're just experiencing that good feeling flow of creativity. Sometimes that's all people need. Put that project aside for a minute and let that resistant energy kind of dissipate and do something else. Or if you want to stay in your same medium, say you're producing music and you're really stuck on a track, or just open up a new session and just start making sounds and do whatever is fun and just say, this is something I'm never going to share with anybody. I'm just fooling around, which is how we all kind of got drawn to production and songwriting anyway because it was fun to just mess around with music so just you can stay in your medium but tell yourself you're not allowed to make this into a product that's just for fun <laughs> and yeah. see what happens well that's really wonderful I, I definitely get like the the image of like congestion mm -hmm. you know it's almost like a blood clot in your energetic body that yeah. kind of keeps you from like really just keeping things flowing and loose and um, do you have any uh, tips and tricks on how to just like keep that channel open outside of just creating consistently? I think sometimes it has to do with our some shadow work that needs to be done. If you're coming up consistently against a sense of congestion or a block, there's something inside of us that either A, is really getting off on being blocked and feeling stuck, and that's a pattern that needs to be looked at, and that you need to find a way to kind of acknowledge that shadow and let it have its enjoyment in a way that doesn't block you from living your life. Sometimes all you have to do is make the unconscious conscious, like, oh, there's this part of me that really loves feeling stuck and feeling all those intense feelings related to me not being able to do my thing. And now that I'm aware of that, you know, maybe that whole situation will just dissipate and I've accepted that part of as myself. Sometimes that's all that's needed. Sometimes, honestly, and I really feel like this is coming up a lot in the collective, there's something to do with our sexual energy. There's some kind of um, judgment or a block or maybe there's some kind of constriction. The two channels, the sexual energy and the creative force, are pretty much intertwined. It's almost like a DNA strand, if you will. Like they're the same current and they have... If one side of the DNA strain, if you could imagine, was all kind of jumbled up and tight or being judged as wrong or not related to the creative process, the other rung of the ladder would be crooked, too, and would experience blocks. Like, we can't compartmentalize ourselves like that. So sometimes people really need to do a little bit of work and acceptance around their sexual self and that aspect of their energy and integrating that a little more fully. And then the creative process becomes a lot more fluid. Yeah. It almost kind of seems like it, like the creative element isn't something that you really like control or coerce. It's almost yeah. like it's like a sum result of all of these other things being in flow. Like, does that ring true or? It is absolutely not under our control. It is not something, you know, you can't coerce it. You can't make it show up. The only thing you can ever do is increase your capacity as a vessel for it to come through you. You can honor ideas and creative impulses when they come to you because as you honor them and you listen and you say oh yes thank you for coming to me and you do something with it you become known as a prime channel if you will by the creative whatever <laughs> and <Muse. laughs> and if you're open and if you're honoring everything that's come and that doesn't mean you have to make a creation out of every idea that comes to you it might be yours to pass on to this person over here 
like, hey, I had an idea about this. It seemed like the perfect thing for you to, you know, let it go. Maybe that's all you were supposed to do. But if you're, if you're open and you honor these ideas as they come through and do something with them, your flow level will increase. It's like if you have a water hose and you constantly have the spigot turned off or only halfway on, only so much can get through. And if you open it up all the way and you're just like, okay, come on, then whenever it comes through, it just comes through, then you're a prime channel. Wow. I really like that that um, imagery of the hose. Um, I've heard the phrase, and I think it was in it's either The War of Art or Julia Cameron's book, uh, The Artist mm-hmm. Way. Yeah. I think it was one of the two, but they said that the muse comes to those who are working. Yeah. And that has been something that I've like held true to. So do you think, um, as a part of that, if you have a lot of ideas and you're not respecting the fact that the muse has chosen you as a conduit, is there a chance that you could actually kind of dry your well up or is it going to keep coming or? It's like, it's never permanently dried up, but if you don't like, if I am a muse and if I, if somebody called me and said they wanted to work with me and then every time I went to them, they were not available. Do you think I would continue to go to them? (laughs) It's just like, if, if there's no, if the energy exchange can't happen, if you're not open, there's no way it can come through you. So you can decide to open at any moment, though. The muse is not going to resent you or hold a grudge. As, as soon as you're open, and it comes. That's the nature of life. Yeah. So you can kind of pinch off the interaction if you choose to, but it's never gone. It's, the well is never dry. Yeah. Um, so what do you think what do you think that nature of the muse is? What do you think, like, where does the creative energy come from? Like, what, like we've been talking about it for, you know, going on an hour, and it's still like... What are, what are we even talking about, essentially? Like this, mm-hmm. this kind of inspiration, this like kind of archetypical energy that everybody has access to. Like in, in your idea, like what, what is creativity? Creativity to me is of the mind of, of God. It is the power and the process by which everything is made manifest. It comes from the formless, from, from mind and the creative process is how it becomes real in other dimensions other than that. Not just our physical dimension, but gosh, only who knows what all other dimensions these creations exist in. We don't have access to that. The creativity is that power and process by which manifestation happens. So to me, it's the most holy process there is because whatever created the universe or whatever energy underlies the atomic structure of all that is of the cosmos is obviously creative. I mean, all we have to do is look around at nature and and the star systems. There's a constant process of creation going on and it doesn't seem to really be governed by anything. I mean, the laws of physics, even those shift and change depending on where you're looking. So it's just this very open creative process. And I believe at the core of it is just a desire for expansion and diversity of expression. And that was the whole point of creating a physical space was to see what would happen when energy and then when conscious beings are given this free space to just do whatever and create whatever. Well, yeah, it really um, kind of rings true with the, the studies I've done. I'm sure you've maybe read The the Mission of Art by Alex Gray. Has that been oh, he's floated? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, I just, I really like the idea that we kind of like take on but like aspects of 
divinity as we become these open channels and that we further kind of, if you're thinking about like the, the fractal nature of reality, like all of reality and the creation of things is kind of like it goes through your hand as your your brush meets the the canvas, so to speak. And yeah, yeah I just um, becoming that it does seem kind of like the prime directive of what we should be <laughs> doing. Like whatever medium you find yourself in, it's like to add more novelty, more complexity. I mean, when you look at like the natural world, I mean, we're already seeing an infinite of myriad of ways of expression and now we have humans which are so complex and so powerful it's like what else are we here to do you know and yeah there's really no bottom and creativity is how we discover there's no bottom and no top it's just an infinite like you said a fractal we can just move up or down and create and every time we think a thought it becomes more complex so it's really really beautiful yeah so going forward um as you're you're standing on the the vista that you are with the specific worldview that you have, and you see the world ahead of you that is fraught with um, just kind of uncertainty and oftentimes like danger, what what do you intend on doing with this current now moment, and how do you what's your intention with the world as you see it? My intention is first and foremost to upkeep my own house, um, doing my own inner work. I can't pretend that I can help somebody else if I'm in turmoil within and taking on that kind of coachy mentality where I read a book and now I'm going to tell everybody this is what they need to do. Like that is just so nauseating to me at this point. So yeah, for me, yeah. every time I turn within and I step up into another place, I'm shown what my work is in that moment. And it may be different six months from then. Right now I'm feeling like what I'm supposed to do is to, help people who have abandoned parts of themselves, namely their creative aspect, to come back to that and to be more whole. And my practice over the years has kind of always been that, but just focused in different areas. First it was physical health, then it was emotional. Now it's more like, what parts of ourselves have we abandoned? What parts of our shadow have we judged and looked at as unacceptable? And how can we use the creative process to come back to that, to come back to wholeness? Because if each one of us does that, the whole world changes. We don't have to try to change the world. Yeah, I, I like the uh, the idea of like keeping your house clean and doing your own internal work. And I just had the idea of like when a snake sheds its skin and it leaves back the, that skin as mm -hmm. it molts into the next form, that skin for humans is art. You know, yeah. so it's like as you do your work, you're kind of slawing off the layers. And like mm -hmm. for the rest of us who are watching this process unfold, we, we find inspiration in it because you're leaving this trail of experience and view that we can then like use as our muse, you know. And I think that that really is the goal of the artist. It's not I mean, there are is it's good to have external social goals. But at the same time, if your primary goal isn't to expand your view, then I think personally that like art is going to be kind of lacking you know yeah if there's no story in it if there's no visceral like I can feel where the artist was when they did this and you know a perfect example is a are the bands that kind of use their music as emotional catharsis and so many people become so attached to that music because it meets them where they are and then as the band evolves and goes on and does other things you can hear the spiritual process happening in their music and you can see how they've grown as people. But each one of those pieces of art from the older albums all the way up to the new are leaving this trail of breadcrumbs for people wherever they are to kind of latch onto that wherever they are in their process and move forward. So you being honest 
about your own personal growth process and creating art in that helps other people who may not be as proficient in the arts to have a vehicle to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know, I just had this like impulse to bring this up. Um, I thought about this like a lot last year about the idea of there being um, kind of like nociceptive art, nociception being like the stimulus that gives you pain. Mm -hmm. And I, when I was very young, I used to, I grew up listening to a lot of like metal and yeah. like really heavy mm -hmm. cathartic, but also like kind of reified my like egoic position mm -hmm. in the world of like, I am so sad. This person said they see me yep. and I'm just going to be in this sadness. Mm -hmm. So do you think that there are kind of examples of art out there that could actually maybe take you away from the self-growth process? Absolutely. We can get stuck in recapitulation. We can get habituated to melancholy, which was something that I did earlier in life. I listened to music that was very melancholy because that's what I was used to and it felt familiar. And I almost became, I found myself criticizing people and music that sounded joyful or happy. Like, oh, look at these corny people. You know, what is, you know, I'm kind of snickering. And it was a very enlightening moment to be like, wow, I'm criticizing happiness i was like this is this is not good <laughs> this yeah. is not really good I'm, i've become habituated to this darkness and just because i'm drawn to the dark and to shadow work which is great you know doesn't mean i have to marinate in that and get stuck there and to resist everything else i want to welcome everything all feelings even joy and lightness and happiness that can seem corny or shallow when you're wallowing in the depths of you know whatever dark music that you're listening to at the time. So I think we do need to be careful about getting stuck in one mood with our art. Yeah. So like what, cause I actually have some very close people to me who they listen to a lot of the stuff that I listen to. I, I really like Polish ambassador cause his, yeah. his vibe is so positive. It's hard to like, he's got some melancholy stuff, but it's always nestled within this positive framework and I'll like play it when they're around and like, they're like, man, I just don't like, like, for those people that are stuck in those kind of dark cocoons, how, as like friends and stuff, I mean, it's not our job to like open them up, but what can we do to help like, do we just kind of keep holding our own vibe and just kind of hope that someday like a ray of light will kind of shine through or what is that, that unfolding? How do we, how do we hold space for that without being forceful if right. there is a way? Yeah, to me, I, I used to get very stuck in the coachy healer-esque mentality where I felt like I needed to rescue all my friends and wasn't very effective. And what I found is that all we can ever do is to be ourselves, to radiate authentically. And the people that we consider our friends and our loved ones, just accept them without judgment, without objection. I mean, naturally we have to have boundaries, but you know, if they feel that, if they feel you radiating what you're radiating and they feel your acceptance of them where they are, that's the perfect environment for someone to make a change if they want to, if they yeah. need to, if that's an alignment for them. And it's also a pretty harmless environment if they don't want to change. I mean, what are you going to harm by radiating your own self and accepting another person? You're not going to harm anything. So right. I've learned to just kind of shut up and stop giving people advice. And yeah. And yeah. Even when they ask for it, sometimes I have to kind of be careful, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm currently doing a um, meditation teacher training uh, with David Nickturn, and it's like mindfulness-based, so it's very, very simple, and it's kind of like helping me kind of step away from, it's weird because I'm stepping into a teacher role, but I'm also, it's teaching me to like not get caught in that role and to also be like on everybody's level and to like also just like create like 
a sense of spaciousness for people to have their own thing without yeah. stepping into that role. But it, it's just like this weird paradoxical, like, I'm here to teach you this thing, but I'm also not here to, like, tell you how to navigate your experience. You know, oh, it's, gosh, it's your yeah. experience. And, and um, that is one of the, I think the teacher paradox is, that's one of the teacher-student because it's all, you're always moving on that spectrum. You're never... I'm the teacher and you're the student and I'm going to tell you burp, burp, burp. And it's like if you just allow yourself to step out of that and just move along the spectrum with this person the roles will reverse the roles will blend and it just becomes a very it's a the learner's mind comes forth for both of you and both of you experience teaching and learning in the same interactive feedback loop and it's just a lot more efficient and feels a lot better yeah so I got to ask, do you often feel that way when you're with your clients for like creativity coaching and all the work that you do? Do you also find this to be a part of what informs your process? Do you find yourself learning from your teachings? <laughs> yeah. Oh, every person that comes in shows me some part of myself. And naturally, you know, that's for me to navigate. I don't, I don't bring that up with them. It's their right, time. Right. But it's all, I'm always like... I am a channel. I'm a hollow tube. This person is coming in. I'm going to hit her fix them. Even when they want me to be coachy and tell them what to do, I'm going to have to ask them to step into their power to the best of their ability and not lean on me or rely on me. So I just have to keep reminding myself it might feel good to my ego for somebody to be worshiping me or looking to me for advice or help, but I got to find a way to navigate that and get them to step out of that mentality of being someone who doesn't know and someone who's a victim and realize that that is just a story and that I'm here to help you step out of that into your power. So yeah. I'm always navigating that dynamic. I'm sure. And that's just, I think that's part of the path, you know, and it kind of reminds me of uh, Ram Dass. A big part of his teachings was like, when you're helping someone, don't become the helper and make them the helpy because oh, that just reinforces that. And I think that like a lot of the time in a lot of situations, people aren't aware of that kind of dynamic. So there's a lot of people causing a lot of harm, even though they have really good intentions. Yeah, and there's people who do that on purpose because it guarantees them that they continue to make a living because people are yeah. dependent upon them. And they're too afraid they're going to lose their income if their clients become empowered and cease needing them. They don't trust that there will be more. There's really a, a big piece of scarcity consciousness in that kind of practice that creates dependency and over-reliance. So there's that whole thing to navigate as well. Yeah. So that, that Right off the bat, when I was getting licensed for massage therapy, that was something I really wanted to make sure was that I created a practice that equips them with the tools mm -hmm. to where they no longer need me. And I know that um, specifically with massage therapy, like everybody was like, yeah, that's a bad business model. But I was, I was the way I'm thinking about it is like if I – leave an impact on someone's life or create the container for them to impact themselves that's what's going to end up getting me more clients than just like having the same people i don't want to see the same people i want to do the work with you and then send you off on your way so you can be more embodied and spend your time doing things that you want to do rather than spend an hour with me every week you right. know and or it gives it's you interesting a chance. Yeah, yeah. With the same person even. It gives you a chance to move on from the same trigger point. They always have the same thing you work on. What happens when that or we allow that to resolve? What's next for our practice? Because I, I continue to get massages. I'm just a person that I love massage, and I'm always going to get massages. But it's always different because the people I work with aren't setting up dependency. Like, your shoulder is always going to feel like this, so you have to come to me to fix your shoulder, and it's like they don't even think like that. 
They're like, yeah. how can we resolve this and get you free? And then when the next thing comes up, guess who I go back to? Yeah. Because the next thing's always going to come up. You're right. Right, right. And that that's something that I definitely have to like secure within myself because I've been a little militant with myself. Of, like, I don't <laughs> want that many repeats. But at the same time, who doesn't love massage? I mean, it's not oh just, <laughs> I, I use it as a tool. It's a mind, it's a mindfulness tool. If anything, like uh, honestly, a lot of the science is coming back that a lot of the issues that a lot of massage therapists say they're fixing, there is actually not much science saying that. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it actually creates an experience for that person to come more into their body. Yes. And it's they're able to like relate to their body in a different way. So if I can tell them the story of their body, then like that's my primary goal. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I definitely, I am still navigating my relationship with this. Um, what do you think about like chiropractic? Cause I, and again, I'm not like married to any one idea, but I almost have a natural distrust for it just because the nature of it is very like you come in, crack, crack, you're gone in 10 minutes, come back next week. And it, it kind of creates that sense of dependency of like, you need to always get adjusted. Otherwise you're going to have this pain. Yeah. Like for me, chiropractic divorced from working with the soft tissue um, to me, maybe isn't that effective because the soft tissue and our bodies in general influence our skeletal structure and they can adjust you all day long. But if you've got something going on in your soft tissue, you'll be pulled out of alignment. Or if you've got a bad habit or if you energetically, you have something living in your body from a car accident. Like, so just this adjustment divorced from any other kind of body work, I wouldn't be a huge fan of that. The chiropractors that I know and love sometimes you know, you can get massage, you can have energy work. Sometimes you really just need that bone to go back in place. And once they do that, then it's a lot easier for the rest of the system to correct and particularly for the nervous system if there's any pressure on a nerve. So I think that it needs to work um, in tandem with other modalities for it to be really sustainable. Yeah. I almost think that that's kind of the case for like most like holistic wellness practices is that if you're not tapping into multiple body systems, you're not going to make a lot of progress. You might have relief temporary, mm -hmm. but because it's an entire organism and you can't separate the soft muscle from the bone, from the myofascia, it's all one thing. Yes, so, I think it's teaching us to be more holistic. And I think that fascia, just the nature of it being everywhere and through all things and communication membrane and Everything that it does is kind of helping all body, all kinds of body workers to understand that this is one unit. You can't compartmentalize it right. and hope to have a sustainable effect. I just started uh, studying up on the myofascial meridians, uh, like the anatomy trains um, by I think his name's Thomas Meyer. Um, and he even says like right up front in the book, like some of this isn't necessarily proven by science, but like mm -hmm. if you follow these kind of these practices, then like you're going to have really great results. And that's yeah. the thing he's saying is myofascia, it's it literally innervates everything. And it was everything. the one of the first things that our body created. Mm -hmm. So very well likely could be a part of consciousness. That's <laughs> you know? definitely in some way related to, um, well, it has the piezoelectric effect that happens within fascia. So obviously there's, there's an, an electrical energy passing there. There's communication happening between tissues and organs and cells. Every, if everything is wrapped in fascia, it's clearly not just a bag to hold your tissue in. You know, yeah. there, there's way more to it, and there's. I think we're just stepping into an era where we're going to begin to understand the incredible impact of you know, fascia and, and its health. Yeah, 
and as a result just like the fact that like the whole body is all one thing you know like mm-hmm. i'm gonna keep reiterating that i feel like a lot of western science has compartmentalized all these things even the way that muscles you know when you're learning massage therapy you learn about the origin the insertion the action of like mm-hmm. an isolated muscle but like that muscle can't do that action without all of its um, its synergists or antagonists, like which affects all these other different parts. Like for you to move your arm, it's a whole body thing. The whole thing, yeah. <laughs> and the so arm wouldn't same. move unless it got the electrical signal from your brain to move. Right. And where did your brain get the idea to move your arm? Yeah. Where did that come from? So and that's always yeah. where we're always like <laughs> scratching our head. Like, wait, I just stumbled across this YouTube video of a brain getting dissected i don't no idea how it got recommended but um one of the comments was funny it was like my brain looking at this brain getting dissected like what is that like, <laughs> yeah and it, yeah it's i mean it's part of the mystery it's amazing how much we give ourselves credit for like understanding things but like we don't even know why oh, we think God. so yeah. do we really know anything <laughs> like just trust in your own ignorance i mean it will never <laughs> you'll never be yeah. misguided if you're like i don't know anything and then you have yeah. the learner's mind and you're open to yeah. more yeah. uh suzuki roshi uh, beginner's mind zen mind i think the book is mm-hmm. called um and i think that that is really applicable you know and that's what keeps you like open like as soon as you know something then you you've left the immediate moment and you're like resourcing like your old teachings and stuff and it's like you're not even connected to the thing anymore you know it it crystallizes you in a certain way and the same way that dogma does kind of crystallizes and limits us and if you can stay flexible and stay open it allows a greater amount of power to come through you because power likes that flexibility and that ability to move however once you lock yourself in and you're crystallized it's like you're just a thing and it's not really moving it's not as alive as if you were just say, oh, here's something for my consideration. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this right here in my backpack, and I'm gonna see how that unfolds. I'm not gonna start becoming this, and this is what is, and this is how it is, and we're so we want to do that so bad because we want to feel like we know and like we're qualified and we're competent, and so we can go out and sell that because it's easier to sell, you know, when you can yeah. describe yourself. Yeah. But we, you know, it lim- it's severely limiting to just pick something that narrow and just be that yeah i think a lot of that kind of also comes down like we we like to know because uncertainty is kind of dangerous yes yes and i mean so like treating the mind as a friend you know like i understand why we create these Mm -hmm. giant mental machinations to try and essentially protect ourselves but we're at a point in like human development where like we don't have to worry about the tiger in the brush you know it's it's more of like success and wholeness and embodiment it's like actually surrendering now it's like we built this castle and now it's like walking out of the castle kind of like the buddha did to become enlightened you know we have to walk out of the castle of our expertise even you know and the way that we know the world it's good that we have these things you know for context but now is when we soften and embrace life more wholeheartedly and that's what creates connection that's how we met you know like how would how would i have you know, stayed at your guys's place and, you know, met you guys lest I opened up, you know? Right. I think it's just a natural progression of the evolution of consciousness. We first have to kind of navigate master physicality and the physical reality and the primal survival stuff. But we have to learn how to move out of that house and into the next place of being so we can evolve. We don't, it's not that we 
tore down that physical house that we built. We're just moving out of it and into a new one. It will, eventually, we'll end up with many different properties <laughs> that we yeah. will own, but you can occupy only one. So it's like yeah. your consciousness has to be able to move freely between these places of residence and not be stuck because yeah. that's no fun. Yeah, I think the biggest things is like surrender and letting go. You know, it's like surrendering to the fact that the wind has changed and uh, you could either fight it or if you let go, like let go of your attachment to the current house that you're in or the current map or model of reality. And you can only have room for one. I like that you said you can only yeah. live in one of these spaces and it's what are you willing to give up? Like, do you really want to take that next step and be the the next rung on the fractal so to speak do you want to embrace that creative power like well what are you willing to give up and make room for it you know and i think that that's where a lot of people I, my interpretation where a lot of blockages come from is we're holding on to too many things you know mm -hmm. we gotta we gotta get through that um what is it that that quote in the bible um the camels won't pass through the needle's eye yeah. you gotta let go of your camels if you want to make it to the next space you know and i think there's this fear that if you know how to operate in one system, you won't know how to operate in the next. And that very primal fear of not knowing how to, that's a survival thing. I mean, obviously you're not going to die if you don't know how to, you know, there's some aspect of consciousness you don't know how to embody yet. But that very primal part of ourselves is like, I'm not going to know how to do things and that's dangerous. And so we naturally resist that. But we can eventually befriend the shadow and befriend our inner animal enough to where we can step forward and, start dipping our toes in that water yeah yeah and i think like a good exercise that I, I frequently talk about is like pushing yourself to find your limits physically emotionally and mm -hmm. mentally like find the edge of where you're comfortable and then slowly step over it and the more that you do that the more you expand that comfort so the more confidence you have when you're moving houses you will know i can handle this my mm -hmm. body can handle this and unless we're like constantly on the edge, which I think is like the creative impulse, you know, it's like that not knowing. If you're not okay with not knowing, then y your life is going to be limited. You're going to be having a lot of bags. You're going to be filled with junk and dusted, you know, or rusted things. And, you know, we want to be able to move lightly and trust. Mm -hmm. I think comfort is a very fleeting thing for me. I'm always, almost as soon as I arrive somewhere, there's this natural impulse to expand into what's next so comfort is tempting but it's not really your friend <laughs> after a while yeah. yeah yeah i'm actually moving out of the house i've been in for the past three years i live with some of my best friends but you know it's kind of the same thing of like i feel the comfort you know and i know that like i need to make room for the next chapter of my life so that actually that resonates you know comfort <laughs> I'm not going to push away comfort, but I'm also not going to like relish in it, you know? Um, Cause I think pushing it away is also another form of attachment. And then you can get really like way too ungrounded and comfort is grounded. Up. Yeah. 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 I'm getting identified with being, um, it can cause just a lot of drama and chaos. That's not productive in your life. If, um, like you said, if you're resisting comfort and stability rather than, you know, not wanting to get stuck in it, you're saying, Oh, I'm going to push that away and just be a vagabond and float around there's there's something to say like holding paradox we have to at all yeah. times kind of find that fulcrum and just dance around on it so congrats yeah. on that taking that next step thanks yeah i just learned um a little bit about like the buddhist uh middle way 
And what I didn't realize, and I'm now realizing, is that everybody's middle way is different. Mm -hmm. And there's always, that's how you balance the paradox, is mm -hmm. you don't dive too deep into either or, you know. Right. Yeah. And everybody has a natural orientation along the spectrum of any particular paradox. So like you said, what what is balanced for one person might look out of balance to another. Because they're saying, yeah. oh, well, you're doing too much rational thinking. And that person may be a complete way tendency towards way out stuff and they need to lean a bit in that direction to balance. So it's just another instance of where we need to just mind our own business and not yeah. judge people for how they're showing up and just yeah. work our own thing. Yeah. I think the more you're invested in other people's journeys, the less you're invested in your own, you know? <laughs> and usually all the judgments that we have about other people are actually things that bother us about ourselves. Oh, so yeah. rather than just like owning it, you know, you like push it outward and like, well, that's them, you know, that's their problem. And then you'll do the same Goodness thing. Gracious. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, all right, Chris, I don't want to take up too much of your time, which is something I've apparently been saying at the end of every podcast someone said. I don't know. Maybe I should like maybe own into lying. like... Like I love yeah. taking up people's time. I do. That's why I do this. Like, yeah, give me at least an hour and then I'll, you know... You could say thank you for giving me so much of your time. I really enjoy I actually, giving you my time. I actually think I'm going to go forward with that. Thank you so yeah. much for that. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Uh, I just kind of want to give you the floor before we um, break away. Um, just namely on like your offerings, how people can contact you, um, anything like that that you want to plug? Yes, you can contact me. I'm, I'm on Facebook, um, Facebook slash Carissa Creates. I'm, my website is carissacreates.com. And there's a contact form on there if you have a question for me. Um, and I would just say, trust yourself. There's a part of you that's already kind of itching and what you want to do next and what feels good to you right now. And just trust that. You don't have to completely abandon everything you are and everything you've created. Just open a little bit of the door to trusting that and seeing what happens next. Wonderful. Awesome. Again, thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. I really enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Brett. Thanks for having me course all right my friends that is the end of the conversation thank you so much for listening all the way to the end uh, it really means a lot to me that you're able to um, spend this time with us i will keep doing my best to ensure that you have quality content and it will only be getting more and more refined and more and more interesting we're all doing this together so uh the support in these early days really does help like i said if you really feel inspired to reach out please reach out through the facebook page 21st century vitalism give us a rating over at apple Podcasts, five stars if that is your thing that really really helps i'm gonna keep saying it because it is like it's it's podcast gold <laughs> uh, if you wish to um, get into contact with carissa which i strongly suggest you do before this winter starts taking its toll on all of our collective mental health uh, carissacreates.com is where you can keep up to date with all her work you can start doing online classes with her um, i really suggested i had the pleasure of doing a workshop with her and it was a lot of fun it was really cool um, yeah, so without anything else, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Please stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, clear, concise, uh, and gentle. All right, friends, until next week.